Hello and welcome to Climate Change on Trial. I'm Anne McElhaney. And I'm Phila McAleer. This is a daily podcast from inside the DC defamation trial of writer and broadcaster Mark Stein. Stein has been sued for defamation by climate scientist Professor Michael Mann. Stein described Mann's famous hockey stick graph as a fraud. Mann is also suing writer Rand Simberg, who made similar comments. Mann is a professor at Penn State University, famous for the hockey stick graph, which purported to show a sharp rise in world temperatures uh, since industrialization. Um, and it's a controversial graph. And this is a very important case uh, about climate uh, science, climate activism, free speech. So we're presenting this podcast in a very special way by having actors reenact verbatim the most exciting exchanges in court each day. You'll get daily updates uh, in their own words of a case that is hugely important, as I said, because of the debate over climate change uh, and the importance of free speech. So welcome to Climate Change on Trial Day 3. A noble man, question mark. Just a note on today's episode. Due to technical difficulties, we were unable to get the transcript of one of the council giving opening speeches today. We were unable to get the statement and the transcript of John Williams, man's chief counsel. We have lots of notes so we can tell you what was said and we want to give everyone a fair hearing. We were able to get the opening statements of Rand Simberg's lawyer and Mark Stein himself, so you'll hear those reenactments. So... John Williams, he, he certainly does so, like the sound of his voice. You can hear that when he speaks. But he to does be fair, like speaking, and, he's, and, he, and he, was, he was standing up, like, you know, from the get-go. Yes. He was like, he was raring to go, basically. He loves being a lawyer, basically. Yeah. And to be fair, he, his oratory was, was, was very good. I, I was, I, was impre- I mean, you always feel like that after the opening speeches. When, when, when the prosecution give their opening speech and something, you always think, kill him you know he's dead you know he should be guilty because it's a you know opening speeches are very very you don't really have to prove anything you can make outrageous statements mostly and mostly mostly and you know he started off with you know Mark Stein and Ransomberg have broken the bounds of common decency um, and you know and you know because and, and, and my client Michael Mann was standing up for the fact that climate change is real and remember then he was shot down by the judge because uh, he's you know you're not allowed to say that because that's not a proven fact, obviously. Well, um, also because, as we were told many, many times yesterday, um, you know, this is not a case about climate change, apparently, even though obviously Williams wanted it to be that um, and, and was saying that today. And I suppose the, the, the situation is Simberg and Stein compared Michael Mann to Jerry Sandusky. Now that's, and, and as, as John Williams, as Mann's counsel said, you know, they compared him to, you know, they, they compared him to a sexual predator, and undoubtedly professional damage was done to him. And and, and he said it was simply vile, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Now, when you hear that off the cuff that he was compared to Jerry Sandusky, the the coach at Penn State University who raped countless children, sodomized as they as they as they said during yes, that, during yes. as he said, Williams said. Yes. You think that's terrible? Now the context is that they were where they weren't comparing him to Jerry. And we'll hear that, and we'll yes. hear that later because yes. obviously this is Williams getting to do his opening statement um, for for Michael Mann. Um, what was interesting that I thought was extraordinary was there were objections to his opening because I think he broke some rules of because prior to this I think what happens is counsel on each side make some rules and have some ground rules and things that they won't do and they will do and things that are included and are excluded and 
Uh, he there were my my count was there was five objections when Williams was speaking, four of which were upheld mm. by the judge, um, which I, I I thought that that was a message to that was probably not a great message to jury right I mean yes. because I think the 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 judge himself was getting a little bit peeved by yeah. it yeah so. Williams made a number of points, you know, and, and, and it's a big sticking point for this case is how was man damaged? Because, the, as the judge said, to, to, to be suffer from libel, you actually have to be damaged by the remarks. And you have to show the damage. And show so, the damages. So Williams, Williams said, you know, that, for example, that Michael Mann had been in receipt of massive grants to Penn State, not personally, but that he was able to attract massive, massive, massive grants for his um, research prior to this offensive article yes. he had received over three three point something uh, million. million dollars and and post this horrific um writing by simberg and by stein that was reduced dramatically to down to down only to a half million dollars yes. a year and it had remained at a half million dollars for years and years and years which by the way on face value that's a pretty powerful yes. point right yes. i thought that sounded yes. good and williams said that man had lost professional opportunities because people didn't want to work with someone who was tainted by sandusky and another point was that you know well actually one thing that upon another point I want to get on to this other one but Williams said man is not responsible for the data that went into the hockey stick graph oh yeah so there's three people who were responsible for the hockey stick graph Bradley Hughes and man yeah. and that Bradley and Hughes collected. those other two they were the guys who collected the data and that Michael Mann was the guy who then collated it but yeah. he was not responsible for the collecting of it which is which sounds um impressive as a point but when you think that that's what actually that's the phrase one of the phrases is used in in uh, Simberg's and Stein's articles, is that he, that he molested the, the data. data, right? So that's that kind. I mean, that confirms it. Talking of data, uh, I I believe Williams misquoted what the hockey stick says. Uh, according to my notes, he says uh, Doctor Mann's uh, hockey stick said that the the temperature was flat for a thousand years until it suddenly shot up in the late 1900s. I think it's the late 1800s. So I, w I was speculating mm -hmm. afterwards. Do we think that um, Michael Mann is now going to sue his own counsel, you know, for, for misrepresenting him? Um, so, yeah, um, there was a few weak points, no doubt about it. Mann, uh, Williams, to prove damage and to prove, he said he, Mann had been harassed harassed and it could only produce three emails two of which oh two I of love which the emails bit by the way Phelan I really love that so there was these yeah to, to show how awfully damaged Michael Mann had been uh, there was this quote Williams showed and and um, quoted from three awful emails dreadful dreadful emails that were sent to him uh, two of those emails from the one person by the way and one from another person but I loved who the two emails were from they were from a person called Overlord Mustafa at gmail.com. That's Overlord Mustafa at gmail.com in case you want to get in touch with him yes. yourself. Yes. And basically he had sent some dreadfully upsetting things and to to Michael Mann. And then the other person who had written, I don't know if we had a name on that person, but mm. they had, uh, had broken up and called him a loser, basically. Yes, lo You're a loser like Paterno. You know, and it's like... You know, um, wow. Okay, this is what this is what you're looking, and and I and I and I think he tried to mention damage. Was it no, that was no, Mark Stein. Mark tried Stein him. tried to do that. Okay, but basically, you're yeah. looking damages for someone calling you a loser and someone called overall Overlord Mustafa writing you a nasty email. Um, 
It's not the strongest point he's made. Um, you and I, Phelan, by the way, have had, a, you know, if that's the best you've got, Michael Mann, you know, come over to our house sometime, by the way, because we've had some we've had some choice emails. I remember uh, I remember somebody writing to us one time, Phelan, and, and they said that they hoped no, that they, we would well, be hanged. No, no, hanged, drawn and quartered. No, hanged, hanged on a short rope. Like, get what the, na- you know, get whatever the Nazis, whatever, some kind of, oh my God, really I, shocking. The one I like was, uh, you love pollution so much, I hope the children are born handicapped. Oh yeah, I remember that. Actually. Yeah, yes. delightful. Delightful. Yeah, just all in a day's work. We should sue. Um, so then, I mean, he also made a big point that Mark Stein was a mere radio personality and lots of mentions to Fox News to try and, I suppose, pollute the DC jury. Um, and as he, as he, did say Simberg did call for man to lose his funding, so maybe that's where he's going with the damages. Um, he then says when they, he said that when man or man's lawyer wrote to CEI where Simberg's blog post appeared and the National Review, Simberg replied, "Bring it on," and Mark Stein replied, "Looking forward to it, i.e., looking forward to a court case." So they got their court case, um, and you know it remains to be seen. Uh, where it'll take. I felt he had a very. I felt he had an okay case after I felt after William spoke. I have to say after Mark Stein spoke. Oh God. <laughs> and Victoria Weatherford spoke for yes. Ransomberg. I wasn't quite so sure. But an interesting thing, actually. So a very interesting thing that we kind of become aware of today was because of the fact that Michael Mann is suing two people in the same case. It actually allows. Uh, for a lot of, you know, it, it gives quite a bit of time for the people who are being accused here. His opponents. To, yeah. His opponents to, to get to speak. So the, the first person we got to speak to, to hear from um, was Rand Simberg's lawyer, um, Victoria Weatherford. By the way, can I just say, I immediately, it, it, it struck me as uh, extraordinary that uh, her name is Weatherford. We were told today by uh, by very the, clever people, the most intelligent person in our room, in, in the in room, room, that it was what is it? What's it called? Did no, you hear that? So nominative. It's called nominative determinism. Nominative. Is nominative it? determinism. When your name becomes exactly what you become. No, no, your name doesn't become. You got, you're born with your name. You oh, you're be, born you, with the name. You, you become, become the thing that your name was. Your yeah. name was. So well, well, who was the Slag- who was the solicitors in Sligo? There were solicitors in Sligo. Everyone was of course right. near and the town. There was something like it was like arguing fibs. That's what it was. I think it was arguing fibs. And of course, what a fabulous name for a law firm. Mm. But I think that's what it was. I think it was arguing. I know fibs. a woman. Woman who lived beside us at home. Don't even start. Go her, on. Her name was Attract a Farmer. Okay, moving on. So let's hear. She didn't let's, marry a farmer. Let's hear Victoria. Um, let's hear the opening remarks reenacted by an actor of Victoria Weatherford. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, good afternoon. This case is about Professor Mann's reputation, about whether Rand Simberg's words from twelve years ago defamed Professor Mann's reputation and hurt Professor Mann's reputation. The answer to these questions is no. Michael Mann didn't lose a single penny. He made more money every year after Rand Simberg's blog post came out. And his career continued to soar to stratospheric heights. There is not a single witness willing to testify under oath in this trial from Penn State, where Michael Mann was teaching at the time, or the University of Pennsylvania, where he now teaches, or a single neighbor, or other person from the community where he lives near State College, Pennsylvania. Not even a single member of his family. No one from his community will take the stand to support Michael Mann's unbelievable claim that Rand Simberg's blog post changed their opinion of him or hurt his reputation. 
because it isn't true. And this case is also about whether Rand Simberg had the right to say what he did. Whether his opinions describing the disgraced Penn State University's whitewash investigations into two-star employees, Jerry Sandusky and Michael Mann, in one of the most heated and vicious global public policy debates of our time, was protected speech. The answer to this question is yes. The First Amendment of our Constitution protects the right of private citizens like you and me to voice our opinions and say what we think on important issues of public debate without fear of being persecuted or censured. Rand had a right to express his opinions and to make the comparisons and colorful metaphors that he did, even if his words hurt Professor Mann's feelings or offended him or were insulting. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to make clear that this case is not about whether Rand's statements hurt Michael Mann's feelings. It's clear that they did. But your duty during this trial is to apply the law on defamation faithfully as given to you by the judge. Because inflammatory does not equal defamatory. That's a great line. Inflammatory does not equal defamatory. We hear it a couple of times during the opening remarks and it really gets to the heart of the debate, heart of the case. This is apparently a free speech country. There's free speech guaranteed in the Constitution. Um, and, you know, she also pointed out that man will not have anyone who can come to this court and swear under oath that he has ever suffered reputational damage uh, as a result of the articles by Simberg and Mann. Yes, and yes. And she, and she, I mean, and there was a number of like um, photographic um, exhibits that actually reinforced that. I mean, his, yeah. you know, no, nothing, ba nothing bad has happened to him basically since. Yeah, he's partying with Leonardo DiCaprio yeah. and the Clintons and, the and Clintons, Al Gore and Elon Musk and all. And she argued also that Simberg did not have the actual power to cause actual damages to man's reputation and career. Uh, you know, uh, and she did, and she did a really good job of that. By the way, you know, in lots and lots of ways, and we're going to we're going to get to hear that now. But she she did a brilliant job of showing that these people, you know, that Simberg basically isn't in the orbit. So that Michael Mann is actually in some is in a very rarefied elitist orbit that is massive and huge and you know is he's just adored all over the place and Simberg you know is you know is not very well known you know the piece that he wrote we're going to hear about that we're going to hear we're going to hear about that okay yes. let's let's actually go to that because it's better let's hear let's hear from Victoria Weatherford again played by an actress let's hear it now Rand Simberg is a smart man. He has degrees in applied mathematics and engineering science and is an astronautical engineer by training. He is a literal rocket scientist and worked on the space shuttle program. Rand is 68 years old and now he's semi-retired. He consults part-time on space policy issues focused on space exploration because his core belief is that we need to protect and save our species, humanity, from colonizing other planets to ensuring the very poorest on our planet have the resources they need to survive. Rand cares about saving and improving the lives of all of humanity, and he has dedicated his career to the literal frontiers of science. This is why Rand Simberg became interested in the Climategate scandal starting in 2009 and in Professor Mann's hockey stick research, because Rand is a scientist himself who believes in the sanctity of the scientific method. He believes that scientists need to be curious, critical, and yes, skeptical about what we think we know because human lives are on the line. And Rand believes that this is how science advances by rigorously testing and questioning our assumptions. 
Yet as educated and smart as Rand Simberg is, as much as he cares about this issue and the science, the evidence will show that to Professor Mann and his professor friends, Rand is a nobody. He's an outsider, an unknown, and his opinions don't matter to professional climatologists. Rand doesn't have a PhD or a degree in climatology. He doesn't publish academic papers in this area or speak on panels or appear on television. He doesn't perform research or serve as a reviewer of academic literature. You'll be able to tell when he testifies that he doesn't have any kind of media training and he is a very soft-spoken man. Rand is a concerned citizen and he will tell you that he blogs on this topic because he thinks it's important. And the evidence will show that there is nothing that Rand Simberg could have said about Professor Mann's research or his ethics that could have actually harmed Michael Mann's reputation. Rand Simberg simply is not in his orbit. So then we get to really, again, the heart of the situation, you know, how it wasn't defamatory to compare Michael Mann to Jerry Sandusky. And I know that... Because that's not what they were doing, because they were never doing that. They were do what they were doing was they were comparing the treatment of Michael Mann with the treatment of Jerry Sandusky yeah, at Penn State. Basically, if you would cover up for your star athlete, uh, you, you know, who's, who's really big and important, who was committing child rape. Yeah, the uh, like the worst. So you, you would, if, if you're an institution who will cover up for the worst possible behaviour imaginable, which is the abuse of children, of young people, then you're really capable of anything. And it's not, it's a, it, I mean, it, I mean, Why it's a very, you cover it's a very rational point, by the way. This is not, this, yes. this isn't, you know, this is a very... I mean, I think we should explain what the climate gate emails were, right? So what happened was, it was, the, these, it was a leak in the UK of climate emails among climate scientists. And it showed man to be fudging the data on the hockey stick. It showed him to be hiding declines. It showed him to be... Uh, trying to undermine other scientists. It really showed it showed him to be picking, cherry picking data, all this stuff. And of course, the university was forced into an investigation. And the, the simple line is, if you would cover up for Jerry Sandusky, the star athlete director, wouldn't you cover up for your star climate guy who brings in millions of dollars also? And, and that's unanswerable. You know, it may not have been true, but it's a very fair point to make. And even Mann knew that the so-called uh, independent investigation... Was a whitewash. Was a whitewash. Let's hear... Uh, Let's Victor hear Victoria Weatherford. Weatherford describe this. And you know the way you're sitting sometimes in court and you're kind of bored and then your jaw drops when you hear. Let's hear about the email... How 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 we know for sure that Ma that Michael Mann knew for sure that what Penn State were doing in their investigation was a whitewash. Let's hear it in his own words, which yes. are not the words whitewash, but let's let's hear it. This is this is yeah. classic. What about Rand's statement that the Penn State investigation into Michael Mann's conduct was a whitewash? It absolutely is true. Rand was right. These are Professor Mann's own words about Penn State's investigation into his conduct. He calls one of the four charges investigating his conduct a cover our asses charge. The S's are dollar signs. He knew exactly what Penn State was doing, conducting a sham investigation so it could cover its own behind, move on, and protect its own reputation, just like it did with Jerry Sandusky. That's not an independent investigation. That's a whitewash. 
I want to pause here for a moment and just remind you about what I said earlier. Rand Simberg was particularly upset about Penn State's whitewash investigation. It bothered him to the core and was the point of the entire blog post. The Michael Mann in this email, the Michael Mann who doesn't know his emails are ever going to see the light of day, this Michael Mann agrees with Rand. Penn State's investigation was just to cover its ass. Now, the Michael Mann here today, asking you for money, wants you to believe that any criticism of Penn State's investigation is false. But right here, he acknowledged it was a sham. And just in case anyone didn't get that, I don't know, I'm just thinking what, what you're hearing there, but cover its ass, cover our ass, by the way, which is what he had in his email, cover our ass. So this, this investigation was a cover our ass uh, investigation. And that's ass, asses, our asses, by the way. And that's asses spelt A, dollar Gosh. sign, dollar sign, E-S. So um, it, 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 there's no way Michael Mann did not know what he was saying when he said that. And it was a really uncomfortable moment for him, I think, to have to listen to that yes. because he never expected those emails to come out. Yes. Um, and, you know, and the, you know, the, he didn't intend them to come out, but they certainly go to his state of mind and his understanding of what was going on at Penn State. Well, we talked earlier about how she said that there was no damage because his life had just, uh, you know, gone from one high point Some, to something, another. Something, one lovely thing to another yeah, lovely thing. Yeah, I mean, thing. I, I, she even put up pictures from his blog or from his website, from Michael Mann's website, saying, you know, he'd met Al Gore, Leonardo DiCaprio, Clinton's Bill Nye, the science guy, all that. And named one of Bloomberg's list of the most influential people in the world. Yes. So... After, and by the way, sorry, that was after Simberg's blog post came out. And there's another statistic... That oh, I love this. This is this is amazing. You, actually, let's just listen to Victoria yeah. Weatherford talk about why it is ludicrous to say that this blog, well, sorry, yeah. allegedly ludicrous. You know, the jury has to make up its mind to say this blog could have damaged Michael Mann's career. Let's listen. You will hear testimony that from July 2012, when it was published, through the end of 2020, Rand's blog post received about. 17,000 unique page views. 17,000 unique views in the whole world over more than eight years. That's it. This is nothing compared to Professor Mann's more than 200,000 Twitter followers who see his tweets. The truth is, Rand's blog post never went viral. Hardly anyone saw it. Michael Mann doesn't have a single witness from Penn State or State College Pennsylvania who will say they ever saw it or that it changed their opinion of Professor Mann. And Rand didn't make a penny off of it. As for the Sandusky metaphor that Michael Mann is so upset about, the evidence will show that this statement was removed from the blog post after seven days. The statement Professor Mann is complaining the most about was on Rand's blog post for one week 12 years ago. That's it. So you heard it there. Yes. Um, 17,000 views over eight years. It's just incredible, by the way. You know, these are very, very small numbers. Um, and the jury was very interested in this section. They all leaned forward to take notes yes. when this came up. Um, Weatherford concluded by taking the case back to its main point that what Simberg said is free speech protected by the First Amendment and did not harm man in any way. This is her conclusion, which is reenacted. Let's yeah. listen. Now, it's clear that Professor Mann thinks that Rand Simberg should hold different beliefs should read different news, should form different conclusions from the news that he reads. 
But Michael Mann doesn't get to tell Rand Simberg or anyone else what to read or what to think or what to believe. That is not what the law that you have been provided by Judge Irving says. Rand and each of us has a right to read whatever he wants. Rand also has a right under the First Amendment, as do each of us, to express his well-researched and well-founded opinions, even if those opinions are critical or impolite. Thank you for your careful attention today and throughout this trial to all of the evidence that will be presented. Now, Michael Mann gets the first word, and he will get the last word at the very end, but I am confident that after the close of evidence in this case, that you will agree that Rand's statements were well-founded and not defamatory, and it's clear that Professor Mann hasn't been harmed in any way by Rand's words. And now we come to Mark Stein. Yes. Um, and as I, I, I don't know if I said that earlier, but I, 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 I had felt that John Williams, certainly that he'd been treating himself like, you know, the great orator and whatever. I think I mentioned that earlier. Um, and I think we're about to, we, certainly for those of us who were in the court today, um, I, I, I was certainly in the eyeline of, of Williams and I thought he was um, rather um, taken aback and... He got grumpier and grumpier. I think he, was gr he wasn't impressed now because Mark Stein, I have to say, was a tour de force. And he wiped the floor and so a man, man was getting more and more frustrated. He, as, wasn't, uh, he wasn't happy. Well, well, when you hear what Mark Stein was saying though, uh, and it was all facts. Very and by factual, the way, we very we rational, but also obviously with Mark Stein's turn of, turn of phrase, very amusing. Um, sorry, should, Phil, you were going to say? We should add that you have a, a role, a starring role, a, a, a cameo. Apparently, apparently, I was called out in the in the court, not by name, by the way, but I was called the Irish, uh, jur the well, Irish we'll, journalist. We'll anyway, you will, we'll, see, we'll see that. Um, yes. But, but let's, let's just go over now yeah, to Mark Stein's opening. opening. I, 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 I edited the first little bit of this, but um, I thought he, you know, he played the I'm just a, a foreigner card. I, perhaps did he play, overplay the I'm a foreigner card? I don't know. It was kind of no. He made no. He made some very very good points about 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 being a foreigner, and actually yes. that that was the reason why he made, why he brought that point up in the first place. But it, it, let's listen. This is this is a masterclass in how to present information that's very very important, but you don't have to be po faced about it. He was very amusing, very rational. Um, and uh, and just brilliant Stein. So let's go over to that. I apologize for being foreign, and I apologize for being unable to stand up. I'm a Canadian on his last legs. I have difficulty standing, but I have no difficulty standing on the truth. The truth of what I wrote, the truth about what happened at a famous American institution, the truth about this man. To modify a famous line from an American courtroom drama, I think you can handle the truth. In my world, I can write something, Mr. Simberg can write something, and Mr. Mann can write something. And you're free to read all or none and decide what weight to attach to all or none. But in Mr. Mann's world, there's his take and everyone else has to be hockey-sticked into submission and silence. I'd be inclined to suggest that's a little un-American. But as I said, I'm a foreigner, so it probably isn't for me to say what is or isn't American. 
And then there was a more drama, you know, there was an actual throwing up of hands. I oh, think yeah. Michael Mann threw up his hands when Mark Stein attempted to put up the National Academy of Science Code of Conduct. Now, he was able to bring because, it up. Because Michael Mann is a, is a member of the National Academy of Science and yes. they have this code of conduct which yes. Mark Stein wanted to bring to everyone's attention. And I can see why he wanted to throw up the hands, but things were just going to get worse and worse. So Mark was able to produce it. And this is, this is the, the, the excerpt of the code of conduct that he quoted to the jury. NAS members shall treat all individuals in the scientific enterprise collegially and with respect. NAS members must refrain from all forms of discrimination, harassment and bullying in their professional encounters. And then Mark just basically said, but that's what Michael Mann does every day. And it was a pretty bold statement. But then Oh my God. In an afternoon oh. of shocking kind of testimony, I think this is one of the worst. I, I was actually shocked. I was shocked, yeah. The yeah. man did this so close to trial that he would be so nasty and toxic about a witness for the trial. I remember thinking, is man deliberately trying to lose this case? So let's hear what Michael Mann did on MLK Day three days ago, before the day before this trial opened. Michael Mann does this all day, every day on social media, discriminating against harassing and bullying anybody who disagrees with him. Colleagues, other NAS members, interested members of the public, as you will hear from witnesses. He is one of the most vicious blowhards on Twitter, and tweeting is what he does. So relentlessly, it doesn't appear to leave much room for any science. He doesn't stop for public holidays. So here's how he spent the Martin Luther King Day weekend tweeting about one of the defence witnesses in this case, my fellow Canadian, my fellow Torontonian, Stephen McIntyre. Quote, In the hockey stick and the climate wars, I show how fossil fuel-funded Steve McIntyre played hide the hockey stick. There's a disturbing connection with the bad stats used to support early theories of white supremacy. Unquote. So, According to Michael E. Mann, thinking his hockey stick is wrong makes you a white supremacist. Now Mr. McIntyre, as you will see in the coming days, is a perfectly respectable fellow. He's been published in the same peer-reviewed journals as Mr. Mann, such as geophysical research letters. So, at the very least, Mann is failing in his duty to the National Academy of Sciences to treat a fellow individual in the scientific enterprise, quote, collegially and with respect. So in the crazy world of Michael E. Mann, a highly technical disagreement about man's use of principal components analysis is the equivalent of burning a cross on your lawn. This isn't a scientific argument. This is just viciously stupid name-calling. More to the point, this is how man carries on day in, day out, as anyone who follows his Twitter feed knows. If the statements at issue in this trial are defamatory of man, why is man's statement not defamatory of McIntyre? Mr. Mann wants a world where no one can criticise him, but he can damn anyone he cares to as a white supremacist, a racist, a homophobe, whatever. This is not the behaviour of a scientist, which is why so many real scientists around the world want nothing to do with this vicious thug. He's a classic example of the guy who can dish it out but can't take it. And by the way, believe it or not, it gets worse. Um, Stein made the point that man was not damaged by his or Simberg's blog post, but, but had, had wafted upwards in and, academia. And that's a, that's a Stein word, wafted. Wafted. 
And then he turned his attention on to Penn State University and how its corruption in allowing the star coach, Jerry Sandusky, to continue his odious behaviour was a continuum that allowed them to overlook Michael Mann's unethical behaviour. I mean, he used, um, he used, he used the metaphor of, metas- you know, of cancer, of metastasizing, and that what Jerry Sandusky was allowed to get away with, um, you know, allowed a corruption at the very heart of Penn State, which metastasized into everything. Yeah, well, if you're going to be corrupt about child rape and let people get away with it why wouldn't you let them get away with it? we've said this before but so let's let's hear Mark Stein say it who can say it much better um, and uh, this, as again this is an actor reenacting Mark's opening statement from uh, Mann versus uh, Stein and Simberg well as you know Monday was Martin Luther King Day in America honouring a famous civil rights leader the Reverend Dr King once said Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. He's right. If you tolerate one small exceptional injustice, it's hard to keep it hemmed into its one little corner. In this case, your highly valued football coach sexually assaulting middle school boys in the Penn State showers. The injustice spreads. It breaks out of the little corner that you've turned a blind eye to. The corruption metastasizes like cancer, so that eventually... As at Penn State, the cancer is everywhere. In the showers, in the science lab, at the police department, at the district attorneys. So with this trial, we will talk about corruption and we will hear evidence of what it did at Penn State and beyond. Let me walk you through the words I am standing by. It's not long and we'll start at the beginning. Quote, In the wake of Lewis Free's report on Penn State's complicity in serial rape, Rand Simberg writes of Unhappy Valley's other scandal. Lewis Free is the former director of the FBI, and after the arrest of Jerry Sandusky and the firing of Penn State's president, he was commissioned by the university's trustees to investigate the culture of corruption that had enabled Sandusky to do what he did year in, year out. The Free Report is a damning indictment of this so-called university. We will introduce it in evidence, and you can see for yourselves. But let me cite just one passage from page 14. Quote, The most saddening finding by the Special Investigative Council is the total and consistent disregard, the total and consistent disregard by the most senior leaders at Penn State for the safety and welfare of Sandusky's child victims. Four of the most powerful people at Pennsylvania State University, starting with President Graham B. Spanier, remember that name, Graham Spanier, failed to protect against a child sexual predator harming children for over a decade. They exposed this child to additional harm by alerting Sandusky, who was the only one who knew the child's identity of what McQuarrie saw in the shower. I'm sure we have some mums and dads in this room. Imagine if that was your child. It's not enough that he's been raped in the Penn State showers. It's not enough that the corrupt authorities are going to do nothing about it. But just to make things worse, they're going to let the rapist know he's been seen raping you. So the rapist knows you're the problem. And he might have to take care of the problem in his own way. Appalling, disgusting Shameful, as FBI Director Free recognised. 
As I said, I stand by every word, especially the ones about, quote, Penn State's complicity in serial rape. That's a, you know, that was a long one, but I felt I felt um, it's important to, to really... It, it sums up the story, too, about Sandusky yeah. and Penn State. And then he went on to tell the jury how he came to write football and hockey, the article that got him into this DC courtroom. Um, and it, it's a good refresher on the ClimateGate uh, emails as well. So let's, let's hear that. The following year, 2009... The so-called ClimateGate emails were leaked from the University of East Anglia in England by a courageous whistleblower who wanted to expose the shenanigans, to put it mildly, around certain aspects of top-level climate science, including the various forms of a so-called hockey stick. So in these years, the Penn State administration is juggling two scandals involving two of the university's biggest stars, a star in the football program, Jerry Sandusky, and a star in the science department, Michael E. Mann. On July 12th, FBI Director Louis Free publishes his report on the culture of corruption at Penn State. And three days later, 72 hours later, July 15th, 2012, I write my entirely truthful internet post. Can we put it back up? It's called Football and Hockey because it's about the scandal in the football department and the scandal of the hockey stick in the science department. The plain truth. As the evidence will show, Penn State reacted to both scandals in Unhappy Valley in the same way, by prioritising brand protection, the protection of its stars over truth and decency. Under its corrupt... An evil president, this filthy, rotten institution had a standard operating procedure. Whatever the scandal, cover it up. My learned friend here told you that the plaintiff was grossly offended to be compared to Jerry Sandusky. That's not actually what Mr. Simberg did. He compared Penn State's treatment of Sandusky to Penn State's treatment of man. As Councillor Williams well knows... We're comparing the investigation of man with the investigation of Sandusky, because both investigations were controlled by the same chap, a corrupt convicted criminal called Graham Spadia. Actually, I, I, what I love is the way um, Stein calls Brian Williams my learned friend. You yes, know, very yeah. British. Yes, my learned right. friend. My learned, my learned friend. You know, yeah. it's, it's kind of. I hope. I always playing to the jury. I I wasn't in a great position to see the jury, but according to you and other people in the courtroom, that some members of the jury were quite charmed, weren't they? I think so. Yeah. But, um. And and you know, and Stein went on, by the way, to talk about the fact that he's been writing about the hockey stick graph for twenty five years, and for the initial first ten years of that, he didn't. I don't think he really. You know, he certainly didn't mention the name Michael Mann in any of his writings he was very focused just on the actual graph not on who had produced the graph so he's looking at the graph and why it didn't make any sense yeah. so let's hear him talk about that for the first decade or so of my rubbishing of the hockey stick I never mentioned Michael Mann's name because I was writing about the end product the hockey stick so I'm not like Mr. Mann here who spends all day on Twitter doing what aficionados of other sports such as association football, soccer, call playing the man, not the ball. 
I have no idea why disagreeing with man's hockey stick makes one a racist and a homophobe. If Mr. Williams is willing to put his client in the witness box, uh, maybe we'll ask him. Yeah, this is a fair point, and it's a very interesting point about why he didn't mention man, because um, he only started mentioning man because of the claim at get emails. But what caught my attention in that speech was the last line. If Mr. Williams is willing to put his client in the witness box, maybe we'll ask him. He mentioned this a couple of times about the likelihood of Michael Mann giving evidence at the trial. And I'm thinking, surely Michael Mann is 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 not going to drag people through the courts for 12 years and then refuse to give evidence. Now, Mann was not happy. Mann, I think, has suddenly realized he may have bitten off more than he can chew. He's not happy. But will he really not give evidence? I mean, I didn't talk to you about this, Anne, but... What do you think the chances are of man settling, pulling out of the case? I don't know. I don't know. He mean, he, I mean, obviously, man was very, very uncomfortable when uh, Stein was speaking. But then, you know, um, you know, when he when his friends are speaking, he looks very, very happy. And he's, you know, he um, he smiles and, and, and nods and stuff. But when Mark Stein was speaking now, he certainly was. Oh, it was not a, a pleasant day for him. He was an uncomfortable character. But I think I don't know. I, I, I think he's arrogant. And I think the chances of him not speaking are very low. Well, did you notice that Williams said today, oh, um, Due to his hectic teaching schedule, he can't come every day. And mm-hmm. try, you know, and it's like, really, you drag these people through court for 12 years and you didn't clear your teaching schedule for, for two and a half weeks. It's like, you know, so uh, anyway, we'll move and by on. The way, and by the way, you know, we have just gone, um, uh, some of you might remember, we've just been through um, uh, apparently, you know, some kind of a pandemic, which um, during which time a lot of teachers in universities and, and uh, schools around the world went online. Uh, went online. And in fact, that was when they were dealing with small children, by the way, they were online. So the idea that Michael Mann couldn't somehow, you know, yes. kind of phone it in a little bit yes. for a few days, um, I'm not yeah. super convinced by. Well, uh, anyway, let's let's hear Mark Stein explain why he started to mention man in his writings after the release of the climate get emails. Let's, let's hear that. But as I say, I play the ball, not the man. So I wrote about the work, the graph, not its co-author. Until 2009, when the climate gate emails were released to the world and the plaintiff's character swung into focus. Yeah, as he said, he didn't want to play. He wanted to play the ball, not the man. Uh, and it was only until ClimateGate went. I think up until then, he, he knew it was a fraud. He said, but he didn't realize that the person behind it was a fraud. So then, what I we come to what I thought was a part of the opening speech that really resonated with the jury, really, really shook the jury. Oh gosh, yeah. This, um, this. Is... In fact, that's why we called the. This episode, a noble man. Um, question mark. A noble man. Question mark. Um, I, I, almost it was interesting. I, no. I almost don't want to give you away yes. the ending here, but yes. but like Michael Mann has had a long career of fraudulently pretending to be a Nobel Prize winner. And it's it's not like you know you won the egg and spoon race when you were you know in the under eleven division at your local high school or whatever or middle school or whatever. I don't know. This is the Nobel Prize. This is huge. And I, I, honestly, that, we, we are spoiling it. We that, are spoiling it. Let's hear. Take it away there, Mark Stein. Take it, take it away, Mark Stein. Again, being played brilliantly by an actor. Yet. In the 11 and a half years this case has been chugging along in the District of Columbia courts, I have learned something 
about the Graf's creator too, Mr. Mann here. Eleven and a half years ago, in Councillor William's statement of claim laid in this very courthouse, Messrs. Mann and Williams charged me and Mr. Simberg with, quote, defamation of a Nobel Prize recipient, a crime I was not hitherto aware existed in the District of Columbia or anywhere else. Put it up there, please. Do you see that? Quote, it is one thing to engage in discussion about debatable topics. It is quite another to attempt to discredit consistently validated scientific research through the professional and personal defamation of a Nobel Prize recipient, unquote. That's one of three paragraphs in Mr. Mann's original complaint in which he claims to be a Nobel Prize winner. But there's only one problem with it. This man is not a Nobel Prize recipient, not at all. Yet he has passed himself off as one for years on end. There are very few of those. A few dozen around the planet at any one time. So purporting to be a Nobel laureate is the equivalent of what they call stolen valour. Those contemptible men one runs into from time to time who claim to have been combat veterans in the thick of it at Omaha Beach on D-Day or in Vietnam, or in the Sunni Triangle in Iraq, or wherever, when in reality they were back home in the Lazy Boy recliner watching Dancing with the Stars. As you will hear in the coming days, Michael E. Mann is the only scientist on the planet for whom the director of the Nobel Institute has had to issue a statement explaining that he is not, and never has been, a, quote, Nobel Prize recipient. Then at this stage, Mark Stein put up loads of newspaper articles showing how the Nobel Prize Committee, for their first time in their history, had been forced to, to publicly announce and publicly rebuke Mann for falsely claiming to have won a Nobel Peace Prize. That's a pretty... Yeah, in, uh, their, in the long history of the Nobel Peace Prize, uh, you know, this is the first time that the committee have had to write to somebody and said, stop doing it. Yes. Stop saying it. I, it's not true. I, could I was looking now. I was I spent a lot of time looking at Michael Mann during this because, you know, it, I mean, it, I mean, it's uh, indefensible. And as, you, as you've heard from from Mark Stein, and it's so true, this is stolen valor, by the way. This is, yes. you know, and people know about stolen valor. People know about people who said, I just talked to a lady the other day who, anyway, a different story, but she was talking about somebody who had, had claimed to have been a Vietnam vet and wasn't. And I just, she and I, I was having this whole thing with her. Like, how odious, what an awfully awful thing to do to claim this. And equally with the Nobel Prize, and Mark Stein, of course, talked about Einstein, you know, and Marie yes. Curie and those people who, who did win it. Yes. And the idea that you would claim it when it's not, you never, you're not even close I, to ever I, getting I, there. I just say, I was watching the jury. I was kind of behind the jury. And the, the article they had a look at, the articles that Mark was putting up, Mark Stein was putting up, they were straining their neck to, yeah. to, to but let's let Mark Stein take it away uh, and, and uh, tell us about the history of the director of the Nobel Institute in Norway and his response. Michael Mann has never been awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. That's a direct quote from the then director of the Nobel Institute in Norway. So I wrote all those years ago that his hockey stick was a Ford. But I came to learn very quickly, as you will, that Michael Mann himself is a terrible fraud. He lied to this very court. And 
Even after his lawyers here were forced to withdraw that first fraudulent statement of claim in 2012, Mr. Mann continues to lie about being a, quote, Nobel Prize winner. This is from the Michael Mann page at Penn State University this very week. He then put up blow-ups where Mann was claiming to be or be, us being described as a Nobel Prize winner, including from Michael Mann's own website. And this was like, this wasn't... Oh, and this is Michael Mann's website, I think, today. Yeah, today. So I think, you know, right up to today, he's continuing to claim this. Let's listen to this next yes. piece. He is not a Nobel Prize recipient. He never has been, and he never will be. Any more than I will be, or his lordship will be because he doesn't do any science at anywhere near the level that would put him in contention for a Nobel Prize. He's an activist, a tweeter. Yet, a decade after he was told to cut it out by the actual winner of the Nobel Prize, he continues to promote one of the most brazen of scientific frauds. That he's of the same rank as Albert Einstein, Marie Curie, Francis Crick, or my fellow Canadian, Sir Frederick Banting the discoverer of insulin and its use in treating diabetes. How big a fraud do you have to be to keep putting yourself up there with Einstein and Sir Frederick and Madame Curie when the Nobel Institute itself has told you you're not? You know, and it's true, like you're comparing yourself to Albert Einstein, Marie Curie, Francis Crick, or my fellow Canadian, Sir Frederick Banting, discoverer of insulin. Anyway, I mean, so... Mark Stein, I think, you know, to, to kind of get towards wrapping it up, you know, he said he stood over his writings. Mm-hmm. You know, he felt it was perfectly fair to ask if Graham Spanier, the president of Penn State, who went to prison for covering up Jerry Sandusky's evil misdeeds, could he be trusted to do a proper investigation into man's alleged, you know, more minor misdeeds? So let's, let's hear Mark Stein say that again. This is a him played by an actor, but using the actual transcripts. That's actually a pretty good question. If Graham Spanier is prepared to cover up child rape, week in, week out, year in, year out, why would he be the least bit squeamish about covering up a bit of hanky-panky with the tree wings and ice cores? Corruption doesn't stand still. It spreads, as you will hear. And I reprise again that shrewd and insightful line of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Quote, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We're told by Councillor Williams that Mr. Mann has been, quote, unquote, exonerated. At Penn State, as we'll show, he was exonerated by a phony baloney investigation controlled by the same fellow who controlled the phony baloney investigation into Sandusky, Graham Spanier. That's to say, Michael Mann has been exonerated by a convicted criminal. He has been exonerated by the pedophile's enabler. I have no idea why he'd want to put that on his CV. I certainly wouldn't, and doubt you would either. Yeah, and then, oh my God, there was a great spot as well where um, Stein uh, played a tape where Spanier, again, Spanier, who's the Penn State president, was deposed and was asked, you know, in the deposition was asked, you know, did you speak to Michael Mann? You know, did you, did you have a conversation with Michael Mann? 
when the inve- when the when invest- this investigation was ongoing, and Spanier says, "No, mm. no, I don't have any, I have no memory of that at all." Uh, only to have him then be asked to read an exhibit, which you could see him on camera. This is the president again of of of, of Penn Spanier looking, you know, being asked to look at an exhibit, and the exhibit then, of course, and we get to see the exhibit then, and they, they put it up on the screen, and basically in the exhibit, it's Michael Mann sending an email to a colleague saying that he'd had this lovely phone call. He'd had a yeah. lovely don't phone call. Don't worry about the investigation. I've just had it. And the word he used was a reassuring phone call I've from the president. a reassuring phone call. And now I want to talk about the funny bit of today. Well, not the funny bit, but it's, it made me smile. So if you heard yesterday's podcast, you'll hear how I became embroiled in the courtroom drama, an A courtroom drama for the cheek of daring to ask Michael Mann some awkward questions. Outside the courthouse. Yes. Outside, As out, is your right. Yes. Um... So man's lawyers basically lied about it to the judge and the judge threatened to ban me from the courtroom. Typical man-style bullying obviously is is infectious and goes on to his counsel. And today it was Anne's turn, not quite as dramatic and not quite no 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 bullying involved. Uh, it rose when Mark was pointing out that man, because he is bully, had chosen to sue targets that he thought he could destroy. So enter Anne McElhinney from stage left. But putting aside all that. What Councillor Williams said about me and Simberg uniquely associating Mann and Sandusky is not true. Not at all. And so far as I can determine, the very first media piece to connect the Sandusky corruption with the Mann corruption came seven months before Simberg and me, and just a few weeks after Sandusky's arrest. It was in the Daily Telegraph of London on December 6, 2011 and headlined, quote, Jerry Sandusky and Michael Mann. Much in common? In fact, I see the delightful and perceptive Irish lady who wrote it is here in court today. Now, at that time, the Telegraph was the United Kingdom's biggest-selling broadsheet newspaper. In fact, the biggest-selling broadsheet newspaper in Europe. It sold two-thirds of a million copies every day. Purposes of comparison, that's close to five times as many copies as the Washington Post sells. And Mr. Mann was well aware of this story. Jerry Sandusky and Michael Mann, much in common? Because it was emailed around a climate group he belonged to. Uh, Can we have Exhibit 520? Do you see that? Miles Grant, a climate blogger, emails, This may be the saddest plea for attention I've seen. And Michael E. Mann replies, sickening. Yes. So, um, Anne, tell us about writing that article. Yeah, well, I have no memory of it, by the way, which I have to, I have to, have to honestly admit. This is a long time ago, which, by the way, and I don't, I don't know if we mentioned that earlier, but Mark Stein was saying about, you know, trying to make clear to the jury how incredibly unjust it is that so much time has passed. And he was saying to people, do you know what happened the year that I wrote no, the, this article? The week, the day. The, week, the day, whatever, the week that I put out this, it was when Gangnam Style became was, was released. a massive hit from the, was he Korean or whatever? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't even remember writing this, but apparently anyway, I wrote an article prior to Mark, prior to prior to Mark Stein and Simberg and Simberg making this making connection. The exact, by the way, you know, I know you're a brilliant journalist, Anne, but it's, it's not... It wasn't, maybe, okay, you were the first, but it wasn't like, um, and I, by the way, did you like the way he, he described you as this 
delightful and perceptive Irish lady. Delight, delightful and perceptive Irish lady, and yeah. uh, and and indicated me to the court. I kind of wish she had said fragrant as in yes. Well, we don't want to get into Mary Archer as in Mary Archer. That's another story film. I bet you. I wonder how many of our listeners would get that reference to Mary. Well, if Archer. anyone knows the Mary Archer reference, please do write it in the notes, and we obviously in the would, comments. We, we would love yeah, you to write leave comments, us a review. Leave us a review and write who is Mary. I'm asking you now. Tell me who is Mary Archer. Put it in the comments. And why would she be fragrant? So coming to the very end of of, of Mark's um, very brilliant opening, um, there was an incredible jaw-dropping um, uh, situation that he set up. So you could see on the desk in front of Mark, and Mark, remember, is in a wheelchair. And yeah. um, and uh, just, I mean, br- br- he was so brilliant today, by the way. But anyway, he had this bunch of books, and the books are all written by Michael Mann. And, you know, they span a number of years, and, this, you know, whatever. So um, he then used these books very, very powerfully. Do I very say film or will I let will I let Mark say it? Let Mark. Let, let Mark. Mark Stein. Let, let's hear Mark Stein saying it. And this is again an actor playing this role. Councillor Williams says his client is outraged at being associated with Mr. Sandusky, but he is associated with Sandusky, and not just because they both worked at Penn State. The analogy drawn by Mr. Simberg is not difficult, as we shall show. It says that Mr. Mann is a beneficiary of the same corrupt regime of which Sandusky was a beneficiary. It does not say that Mr. Mann is a paedophile. But as we will show you, he is pals with the paedophile's enabler, even after Spanier was jailed for child endangerment. Here are some of Michael Mann's books. All of them thank Graham Spanier in the acknowledgments. 2012. The Hockey Stick and the Climate Wars, Dispatches from the Front Lines. This was published in 2012, a few months before Graham Spanier was indicted for perjury, obstruction of justice, failure to report child abuse, and a few months before the report by former FBI director Louis Free found that Spanier exhibited a striking lack of empathy for Sandusky's victims. 2016. The Madhouse Effect. How climate change denial is threatening our planet, destroying our politics, and driving us crazy. Again, Mr. Mann thanks Graham Spanier in the acknowledgements, even though Spanier is now headed to trial. Oh well, innocent until proven guilty and all that. 2021. The new climate war, the fight to take back our planet. So it's 2021. Graham Spanier is now a convicted criminal, but that's not enough for man to cease thanking him in the books. 2023. How fragile moment. Just last year, Graham Spanier has been jailed for child endangerment. He's in his yellow jumpsuit, and this man is still putting him in his books. So Michael Mann is embarrassed to be associated with Jerry Sandusky, but not embarrassed to be associated with Jerry Sandusky's criminal enabler, a man sent to prison for endangering children. Does anybody in this room other than the plaintiff have friends who were jailed for endangering children? Would any of them thank the child endangerer, the pedo enabler, in their books, even after he has been convicted, even after he has been imprisoned? That's the way our horribly corrupt society works. Graham Spanier covers Michael Mann's ass, and Michael Mann covers Graham Spanier's ass.
We make our choices in life, and we live with the consequences. And Michael Mann made his choice, as we shall prove in the days ahead. That's the way the society works, you know. We make our choices in life, and we have to live with the consequences. And Michael Mann has made his choice. Um, I mean, it is incredible. By the way, I mean, I was, uh, as you say, Phil, I'm with jaw dropping. It's jaw dropping that you would, you know, I mean, you can, I can understand that you would, uh, you would say nice things about your friend. You'd thank your friend, maybe for years or whatever. Particularly, for example, and and we're be- huge believers, by the way, you and I, Phil, in you are, you are, you are innocent until proven guilty. Yes. So no problem about that at all. But this guy. Graham Spanier was convicted, convicted and then sent to prison. He convicted. For, he, for covering he, he thanked up, him in one book and then for covering up. By the next book, he was in prison for covering up paedophilia, child rape, and in and child rape, and in every book that Michael Mann wrote through the period before the conviction, after the conviction, when Graham Spanier had been convicted, had been imprisoned, he continued to thank him for being fabulous. Do you know who it reminded me of? Actually, I mean, I, and. Actually, I think this is a very appropriate uh, connection. It reminded me of Prince Andrew and Jeffrey Epstein. You know, because lots of Jeffrey Epstein was friendly with lots of people. And, and Jeffrey Epstein then was convicted of trafficking minors. And Pr- Prince Andrew then knocked on his door and, you know, met him a couple of times. And, and, and other people, other famous, and, and now they're all losing their jobs. Bill Gates, Bill, Bill Gates' wife left him over it, you know. And what's the difference there between someone who enables uh, child rape and someone who is a child rapist? I mean, but he thanked him. So, look, I know it's been a long podcast, but really there was so much... We didn't, we didn't, want, to, we didn't want to scrimp on anything, and I hope, yes. you, I hope you were able to. But anyway, listen, please, you could do us a huge favour, by the way. Can you rate this podcast? Please give us a five-star rating. Please leave us a comment. Um, and if you are in such a position, we would appreciate that you could donate to unreportedstorysociety.com to, to help, keep us on the road. Yeah, to, and help, to help us. Help us continue to do this. Yes. The case and is going to go on for about three weeks, by the way. Yes, and uh, there's no case tomorrow. Yeah, they're not sitting tomorrow on a Friday, so we will be back on Monday. Yes, yes, we'll be back. Have a fabulous well, weekend, Well, you won't everybody. be getting this podcast until Tuesday. Correct. Yeah, but don't forget, if you subscribe now, it's free to subscribe. It'll appear automatically in your feed. It'll just pop up on your phone. And uh, uh, Man versus Stein and Simberg will continue. Bye. Thank you. Climate Change on Trial is a project of the Unreported Story Society. It's presented by Phelan McAleer and Anne McElhaney. Written by Anne McElhaney, Phelan McAleer, and Virginia Abram. Reenactments were directed by Kiff Scholl, with Victoria Weatherford read by Erica Ibsen, and Mark Stein read by Tom Bromhead. Nico Garfolo is the engineer. The executive assistant was Annalisa Pesek. It's edited by Peter Kelly, and produced by Phelan McAleer and Anne McElhaney and Magdalena Segeda.